Welcome to this week's Taurus Chaim podcast. Uh, this is our, that is me, Ochanan Cohen, and Miriam Cohen, his wife. Uh, our weekly podcast in which we discuss the Torah portion of the week and try and relate it to how things, uh, things that are happening in our lives. Um, that's the concept of Taurus Chaim. Instructions for living, try to draw uh, lessons and ideas, messages for our daily lives, and also to use our lives to gain a deeper understanding of the text. Before we begin, I just wanted to say that if you enjoy the Taurus Chaim podcast, you should please help us get the word out so we can spread Torah to more people. So you can share it, um, either mention it by name at your Shabbos table or anywhere else that you may be talking about Torah. Um, you can also share a link to our podcast on any WhatsApp groups or social media that you're on. And you can also uh, leave a review. We appreciate those very much. And we definitely notice all of the reviews and ratings that we've gotten and appreciate them. So thank you for that. And please continue to spread the word. Okay. So Parsha's Vayigash is this week's Parsha. Um, and uh, as had happened two weeks ago, last week's Parsha ends off very much on a cliffhanger. Um, it's uh, the the perfect, if this were a serial in you know, one of the... Uh, weekly Magazine. magazines that would be perfectly perfectly set up. And what we saw at the end of last week's parsha was that the brothers, including Binyamin, were <clears throat> being brought back to Yosef's palace after having been caught. Binyamin's having been caught, having the uh, goblet in his in his bag, and they put forth the offer to Yosef that they all be taken uh, prisoner or take, turned into slaves as a result of their actions or as a result of Benjamin's actions. And Yosef had said, um, no, uh, you, the rest of you are fine. Uh, just the one who is actually guilty of the crime, he will be my slave and the rest of you can go home in peace to your father. Now, we already know um, from the conversations that they had in the previous Parsha, in last week's Parsha, Parsha Smigates, that Yosef knows of Yaakov's so-called ill health, um, and that uh, the reason why Yaakov initially was not willing for Binyamin to join them on the journey was for fear that something would happen to them. So you can almost hear a little bit of a sarcastic, biting tone in Yosef's statement in the very end of last week's parsha. Ve'atem alu l'shalom el avichem. You go home to your father in peace. Um, and we also have seen from last week's parsha that Yosef is very much orchestrating this entire story. Um, he orchestrated it such that Binyamin would come down, even though initially the brothers came down without him. And he planted the cup in Binyamin's uh, sack. He also, interestingly, in last week's Parsha, started to sow seeds of dissension between the brothers. And the reason I say that is because 
he gave the brothers when they joined him for the meal that they had together. Um, when they joined him at that meal, he gave Binyamin five times the amount of gifts that he gave to the other brothers. Um, and there is an idea here, and we'll see it very much play out at the beginning of this week's Parsha, um, that relates to the Jewish concept of teshuva, uh, usually translated as repentance, um, better translated perhaps as return. Okay. And that is rectifying our mistakes, how we rect- go about rectifying our mistakes. And there's a somewhat famous quote from the Rambam that tshuva gemura, the ultimate complete tshuva, is when a person is placed into the same situation in which they failed the first time and they succeed the second time, that is an indicator of the fact that they have truly changed and that they have returned um, and they have rectified their mistake. And it very much seems like Yosef is orchestrating a situation in which the brothers are going to be placed in a similar situation to what they had with him as their brother, even though they don't realize it's him at the moment. And hoping that they will have a different uh, result uh, or a different reaction to that situation. What's interesting is that there is a medrash at the end of last week's Pasha that would seem to indicate that at least initially they did not succeed in that. Because there's a medrash that mentions that when they found the cup in Binyamin's sack, the brothers started beating him, Binyamin, and saying about him, oh, you're a thief, the son of a thief, because your mother stole the idols from her father, right? Rachel took the trafim from Lavan. Okay. Ah, so you're just like your mother. You're a thief, which would seem already to indicate that they had some sort of a negative outlook towards Binyamin. Right. Keep in mind, Their problem with Yosef, and you see this actually from earlier, their problem with Yosef was not only the fact that their father treated Yosef, as as we discussed last week, with or two weeks ago, um, as kind of the authority over them. They actually had an issue with Yosef's mother as well. They had an issue with Rachel. And we see this with the whole story of Reuven, which is presented very oddly in the Torah. But after Rachel dies, it says the way that the Torah puts it is that Ruvain slept with um, Bilha, with Yaakov's Pilagash, Yaakov's uh, co-wife or concubine right. of, um, of Rachel. And we know that Chazal teaches us that that's not actually what happened, but rather what happened is that he... Yaakov had moved his bed, which had previously been in Rachel's tent. Exactly. He had moved it to he had moved it to Bilha's tent. And Ruvain took that as an affront to his mother. And he right. said, Listen, you know, it's one thing that you showed more love to Rachel. to Rachel, even though Leah was your first wife. My mother Leah was your first wife. It's one thing that you did that while she was alive. But now after she's dead, you're even going to spend time rather with her Pilagash, the woman who was given kind of together with her, so to speak, 
um, rather than with my mother. Right? And so Reuven moved the bed to Leah's tent, and that's why the Torah says what it says. Um, so that already indicates to us that the it wasn't just Rachel and Leah that had the feelings that they had, right? You know, which we discussed also. Well, it makes sense that when mothers have certain feelings, that their children would kind of learn that from them. For sure. Say. For sure. Um, and the brothers, that continued down into the next generation. Um, right. So it's when they react in this way to finding out that Binyamin is the thief, or at least that's the way that it seems to them, um, that seems to show that they haven't yet gotten over that issue. Right. Right. However. Um, but wouldn't the Shvatim have respected Rachel taking the idols from her father because they were tzaddikim and they understood that idols were a bad thing. So why would they look at it as a negative that she did that? Um, well, they wouldn't necessarily have known her intent. They just know that she did it. Wouldn't it be clear? Like mm -hmm. she wanted to. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it would seem that Hazal see in what Rachel did some sort of perhaps inappropriate behavior. Um, and, and I mean, you, you see this to a certain degree in the result of what happens as a result of that. Right. It's a, as a result of that, Yaakov gives this curse to whomever has stolen it, right. and she ends up dying. So in as much as, yes, it's as a result of what Yaakov says, but that seems to indicate that there was some sort of fault there. With what she did. With what she did. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. And so we're told at the beginning of this week's parsha, Vayigash, a love Yehuda. Yehuda approaches Yosef, or the man whoever this mysterious right. man is. So can I interject and mm -hmm. to mention something funny? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really work in in the later parshios, but like in Bratius and the beginning of Shamos, the way I always like knew, like since I was a kid, because like, I don't know, we had tests where it would be like, which parsha is this in? Mm -hmm. The way I always knew is based on that word, I would place that in the story and I would know like, oh, this happened after Yehuda approached Yosef, so therefore it happened. In Parshas Vayigash. Right, right. But I don't know why, to me, Vayigash was always the one that was, like, the most clear. Oh, interesting. I guess because there's, like, a visual element. Like, I'm imagining, like, a fight, like, Vayigash, Yehuda. Well, that's interesting because, uh, as Rashi comments and, and some of the other Rishonim comments, Vayigash can be taken in more than one way. Okay. It can be taken in the sense of respectfully, but it can also be taken in the sense of, you know, Let's, uh, you know, let's duke it out, so right. to speak. Like, yeah. let's, take, let's take this outside, <laughs> right? Um, I also want to focus a little bit. We did discuss this kind of last week but and in, in the week before that. But I, I do want to note that the strange phenomenon that the Shvatim do not recognize Yosef. Right. It is very strange. And, you know, Ramban in, in last week's parsha actually is a little bothered. Rashi brings the midrash. Maybe they all the, had parapraxis. I was just gonna say you <laughs> you got me there. Um, yeah, maybe they all had parapraxis. 
for those of you who are not familiar, which is probably most of you, <laughs> that is an inability to recognize faces. Which um, I've self-diagnosed myself so with. that's not what Chazal say. Okay. <laughs> Chazal say that um, the reason that they... Uh, that they did not recognize Yosef and that Yosef recognized them was because when it, he had been sent off, he did not have a beard and they did have a beard. And so he now has a beard and that prevented them from recognizing him. But he had seen them with a beard already, so he was able to recognize right. them. Like, would I recognize you Would you a recognize beard? me without a beard? Um, the answer is Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ramban, actually, in last week's parasha, is bothered. If you calculate the ages, some of the brothers, particularly the the later-born ones, are just a year or two uh, separate in age from Yosef. Right. So, how could it be that, you know, Yosef didn't have a beard and they already did have a beard? So, Ramban gives an answer. He says, well, once Yosef recognized some of them, he was able to recognize the rest of them. Okay. But I, I think what Chazal are trying to tell us there is basically you just needed some sort of difference, something that they could blame, so to speak, right? in order for them to excuse the fact that they didn't recognize Yosef. In other words, and as we discussed, they had a perspective on Yosef, what they believed he was, who they believed he was, what they believed would become of him that so blinded them to the reality that so long as there was some sort of something to obscure that clear picture, they were able to ignore the fact that all of the signs indicated that this was Yosef and say it couldn't be so. Right. Right. Um, as we discussed, right. So Yehuda approaches him. Um, which, incidentally, sorry, before we go on, is is an important life lesson, right? Um, we, we tend to assume that we are very objective in our understanding of things, but the reality is we are extremely subjective. And all of our kind of impressions, our first impressions of how things are or should be will blind us it's you know the the um the bear study which study um i think it was i can't remember which college it was um one of the one of the colleges in in cambridge um are there any important colleges in cambridge yeah (laughs) no um certainly no important college presidents in cambridge but um (laughs) that's accurate uh, anyhow, there was one of those colleges where they did a, a, a study where they had someone um, ask someone for directions. And while the person was busy giving them directions, they had someone dressed in a bear costume run through like the background. Okay. And when the person was so busy occupied with telling them directions to the subway or whatever it was, they, they completely missed the bear running through the right. background. Okay. Um, basically, you know, you can be so blinded by what you're focused on that you can miss even, you know, a bear, you know, <laughs> running through the background. Okay. Um, and so, 
that's that is definitely an, an important life lesson. So Yehuda says, Vayomer bi Adoni, and he says, please, my master, that would be the simple way of translating the word be. It's, it's, a, it's a statement of 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 please of of uh, pleading. Excuse me. Okay. Yidaber na avdecha davar adoni. Let me say a word or two. That's how the Ramban. The word davar is in the singular. Right. Right. So uh, that's how the Ramban understands it. Let me just say a word or two into your ears. Do not get angry at me. Which will leave that phrase untranslated for right now. Um, okay. Because there are many ways to translate it. Um, well, actually, the simple, the simple, simplest way of, of, of translating it is, I respect you just like I respect right. Paro. Right. Okay. Right. And so, therefore, I fear your anger. I don't want you to get angry at me. Uh, Rashi, interestingly, comments the fact that he says, don't get angry. It's like when people say, with all due respect, <laughs> that means you're about to say something that is disrespectful, right. right? So if you say, please don't get angry, that means you're about to say something that is going to make the person angry or that could make the person angry. And so therefore, we can understand from there that he's going to, and that's how Rashi notes that uh, there is one understanding here that actually this was an attack. This was not just, you know, pleading, but that this was an attack. The other, I think, more simple understanding in the Pasuk is they already had this discussion, right? right? In the end of last week's Parsha. And so what what Yehuda is saying is, listen, I I know that we discussed this, but can I please just like let put me get in, a word in. Let, it get, let me, you know, put in my, my, my two cents, even though the truth is you're the king and I really have no right to put in my two cents, but let me please put that in. Um, Rashi, of course, provides numerous other interpretations for ki kamocha keparo, including one which is very interesting, um, that he basically accused Yosef of... Um, having the, this plan from the beginning, which you and I know he did, right? right? But basically, he said to Yosef, you're just like Paro, that just as Paro doesn't keep to his word, which I'm not really sure what that's referring to, because as of yet, we haven't seen Paro do anything that is not keeping his word. But what about with Avram and Sarah? What did he do that wasn't keeping his word? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but it, in that in that same way, um, um, in that same way, you don't keep your word. You said that you would let us go back in peace, and now you're not letting us go back in peace. And that actually, that kind of um, uh, line of of thinking really fits well into the next pasuk, which. The way that Rashi explains it is, Adoni Sha'al, you, my master, asked Es Avadav Lemor, your servants, meaning us, you asked us, asked, saying, Hayesh Lachem Av Oach, do you have a brother or a father or a brother? Which Rashi says, one second, it's not like we were trying to read you a shidduch over here, right? We weren't trying to suggest a match for you. So, what in the world were you asking? Oh, do you guys have a father or maybe a brother? 
<laughs> you know, wh- what is that all about? Right. Clearly, you had designs from the very beginning. And in fact, the Medrash goes a little bit further. And the Medrash says that Yehuda accused Yosef of specifically having designs for Binyamin. You wanted Binyamin as your plaything, essentially, right? And that's why you orchestrated this entire thing, because you wanted to get him down here. You saw us, and, you know, we're good-looking guys. You know, you figured, you know, you can't really take any of us. So you wanted to find out, hmm, maybe you guys have a brother or something, you know? And that's why you asked us about that. And that's how we got into this whole situation. And then you tricked us into bringing him down here and now are trying to get us to leave him behind. Interesting. Which, by the way, fits in with what we've mentioned a couple times previously in previous weeks. This idea of Yosef as the charismatic character. Right. Right. Because one thing that people with charisma are very often suspected of is that they are involved in liaisons that they should not be involved in. Okay. Right? Let's put it that way. Um, and and specifically, oftentimes, they are suspected of playing for the other team. Let's put it that way. Right? And so they um, this would fit very well with that understanding. Now, I, I do want to point out that and this is something I, I you and I have discussed numerous times, but I like to quote uh, Will Durant, uh, the historian, who said, "Anyone who says that history was never as and there was no time in history that was ever as immoral or as bad as this time has never studied history." Right. Um, and so I, I do want to point out that um, you know homosexuality, uh, including pederasty. Right, which is basically taking advantage of young boys, right, was rampant in ancient times. Right. Okay. So, you know, all of the hoopla and whatever that people make about, you know, whatever whatever it is that they're making up, these are not new situations. There are some developments in t- in, in medical technology that mean that right. certain, you know, situations couldn't have you know, occurred previously, but essentially this is, you know, old news. Um, just wanted to to point that out just because, you know, that's, that's something that comes up over and over again. Um, so you asked us whether we have a brother or a father, and we told you, my master, we have an older father, and he has a young, by the way, young, you know how old he is at this point? Who, Binyamin? Binyamin. No, I can't, I can't recall that information. He's only a couple years younger than Yosef is, right? And how old is Yosef? Well, Yosef has been 22 years away from his father at this point, almost, and right? How, how old was he? And he was 17, when he left, so he's almost forty, right? So Yosef is in his third. I'm um, Benjamin is in his thirties, probably. So Benjamin is probably in his thirties. So no, you know, we keep on thinking of him perhaps as this like little kid. No, he's he's an adult. He already has children. You know, um, 
But he has this child of old age. Ve'achiv, Mace, his brother, is dead, which is not true. Well, right? they, they, do they know that? Well, they came down there looking for Yosef. Right. 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 So they apparently at least hoped that he wasn't dead. So Rashi says, well, he, he, got, he panicked. Yehuda panicked because he was worried if he says his brother is missing, Yosef's going to say, oh, why don't you go find him? Right. So Yehuda just said, I'm just, his brother's dead. <laughs> Um, He remains the only child from that particular mother. And his father loves him. And you said to your servants, Bring him down to me. I would like to take a look at him. And again, Rashi, not on the spot, but previously says, so this is what you call taking a look at somebody? You know, that's what Yehuda is essentially saying. This is what you call taking a look at somebody, locking them up for the rest of their life. And we told you at the time, that this young man will not be able to leave his father. If he leaves his father, we're worried he's going to die. Now, I want to explain something based on what we were just saying a moment ago. Can I interrupt yeah. with a question? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I learned this somewhere, but maybe I'm totally, totally wrong. Did Binyamin recognize Yosef? Yes. Okay. Um, yes. There is an idea that Binyamin recognized Yosef, but um, it would seem that Binyamin was willing to play along. Which, by the way, it would make sense that Binyamin, based on what we were saying at the very beginning, it would make sense that Binyamin would not have had that same blindness that the brothers had, and therefore it would have been very easy for him to recognize Yosef. Right, right. Um, but uh, to to get back to what I was saying, you know, Binyamin is not a little kid, right? Yet they're treating him that way. Think about the way that they talk about him. Right. Right. Why is that? So I, I think it's indicative kind of of how the brothers felt about him. Was it out of guilt yeah. for what they did to Yosef? Um, I don't think so. I think it's, you know, the, the baby of the family will always be the baby of the family. Right. I think that's more the situation here. You know, it doesn't matter how old Binyamin becomes, he's still the baby. Right. Okay. Lavadecha, and so you told us, you said to your servants, if your younger brother doesn't come down with you, I don't, don't continue to see me, right? I don't want to talk to you until your younger brother is here. Um, and when we went home to our, your servant, my father, which Chazal actually understand that uh, Yosef was punished for hearing them refer to Yaakov as his servant, as his servant and not protesting in any way. Um, which is interesting, you know, there's there's a, a fascinating issue. Ramban Nachmanides to certain degree raises it in last week's Parsha, which is, how could Yosef have tortured his father in this way? Yosef... I didn't think of that. Right? Ramban is, Ramban's answer is a little unsatisfactory, to be, to be frank. Okay. Um, Ramban says he understood his dreams to be a nevuah, to be a prophecy, and therefore he had to ensure that the dreams came true. 
Is that the responsibility of the Navi? So that's an interesting question. And that's part of why I was saying, you know, it's not so satisfactory. It's a little unsatisfactory. You know, to, is, is that the responsibility of the Navi to ensure that the Navua comes true? Or if anything, perhaps the opposite. If you're given a Navua, you shouldn't have to do anything, right? Unless the, the prophecy is specifically to do something, right. right? If you're given a prophecy, you should assume it's going to happen on its own. Um, I, I don't have a very good answer for that question. Um, but um, be that as it may, that doesn't seem to be the issue that Chazal found. Chazal took issue with the fact that he heard Yaakov being referred to as Avdecha specifically. So what should he have done? Just been like, okay, the game is off. I can't, I can't keep this up anymore? I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. Um and so, Vayomer Avinu, uh, our father said, our father said to us, please go get us a little food. Remember, just to remind you from last week's parsha, initially when the brothers came down the first time, they had food. At least according to most of the Mephorshim. They they had food. Their father just sent them for one reason or another. Either he wanted to make sure that they don't run out of food. Or he just felt that if everyone else is doing it, it doesn't look oh, look I right. I remember learning that. Right? It doesn't look right. Lama tisra'u, why do you show yourselves as if you have everything while everyone else is suffering? Why don't you just do what everyone else is doing? But the second time, right, that they go down, they had no food left. Okay. Right? Um, in fact, Yehuda basically told Reuven, who tried to convince Yaakov, to send Binyamin with them, Yehuda said, just give it, give it a little time. Once the food runs out, he'll change his mind. Right? Um, Vanomer, and so we said, lo nuchaloredas, we can't go, because im yesh if our younger brother is there with us, then viaranu, we can go. Why? Kilo nuchalor os ha'ish, we cannot um, face the person, Sorry, if our younger brother is not with us. So, I'm going to jump a little bit. Okay. Finally, we convinced our father to send him. And now, this is Pasuk Lamed. And now, Yehuda is still speaking to Yosef, he says... If I come home to my father, your servant, and we're not going to have him with us, Binyamin with us, their souls are intertwined. And if one is gone, the other will be lost. Binyamin and Yaakov. And so the, that's the what the, how the next verse continues. When he sees that the child is not there, the child there in this case being Binyamin, when he sees he's not there, and um, he will die. Okay. And then <clears throat> one final pasuk that I want to read. Um, before pausing for a moment, Ki eich this is Pasuk Lamedalet. Yehuda says to him, Ki eich alavi, how can I go up to my father? The Hanari Nano Iti, if I don't have this young man with me, 
Pen Erevara, if I go up, I will without him I will see the evil. That will befall my father when I return without Binyamin. And in the next Pasuk, Yosef is not able to hold himself back anymore and reveals himself to his brothers. And the Yosef Hodavichai. Yeah, which um, also can be read sarcastically. Well, it, ha- it has to be. It doesn't make sense otherwise. Yeah. They're just saying, he just talks about his father will die if he doesn't bring back Benjamin. How else could it you could be? It's it? a statement of, of, of bewilderment. Is my father really still alive? Or are you just making this whole story up? He wasn't sure? I'm just saying you can understand the Pasuk more what? more than more than one way. What I think the, the simple of- you know, I, I think the simple understanding of the Pasuk is as you're saying, um, is that it is a sarcastic statement and he's basically saying, Oh, you're worried about my father not being alive? Well, is my father still alive now without me? Right? You weren't so worried about it back then. Mm-hmm. Um so let's discuss this idea that we mentioned before, the concept of tshuva and how it fits into this whole story. Okay. Right? So what Yosef has done here is essentially put the brothers into a similar situation to the one they found themselves in previously. Previously, they were faced with this situation where the dilemma was, do we lose our brother, get rid of him, right? And save ourselves? Or was- do we keep our brother around? and potentially lose ourselves. This is going back to... Going back to when they first sold Yosef. Okay. Right? Or threw Yosef into the pit. Right? The brothers felt Yosef was a threat for whatever reason. We talked about that a little bit. And so they had this dilemma. Do they get rid of him and save themselves? Or do they protect their brother? Right? And here they have the same dilemma. They can very easily say, you know what, Binyamin is a thief, right? He deserves the punishment that he's going to get. And we're innocent, so we'll go home. But instead, they stand up for Binyamin. And so Yosef sees in that a sort of tshuva gemura in the language of the Rambam, a complete rectification of what it is that they did. They are being put into a similar or the same situation, and this time they're making the right choice. Right? And that would be one way of understanding why in the next Pasuk it says, oh, Yosef realized, okay, they're standing up, so now he doesn't have to continue with the charade anymore. Okay. However, if you read the next Pasuk, Velo yachol Yosef apik, that Yosef was not able to hold himself back now, there's two ways that this Pasuk is, is interpreted. The way Rashi and some of the others, because of the continuation of the Pasuk, it says, L'chol Zavim alav, because of all of the people who were standing there. Now, why would that mean, why would that be a reason why Yosef can't hold himself back? So Rashi and, the, and others suggest that what it means is Yosef is about to reveal himself, but he doesn't want to embarrass his brothers. He wasn't able to be okay with everybody being there. And so in the following, in, in the end of the verse, Vayikra, he, he announces, okay, everybody out. Give us the room. Give us the room. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, however, the I think the simplest um, reading of the Pasuk, even though it's a little difficult to fit um, <clears throat> with the rest of the Pasuk, 
But the simplest reading of the Pasuk is that Yosef wanted to continue the charade. Why? Okay. We'll have to get to that in just a minute. Um, um, Ramban actually gives a very interesting um, interpretation of the Pasuk. He says that Yehuda's <clears throat> Yehuda's uh, heartfelt plea had so convinced the people in the room that they were telling Yosef, let him go. And Yosef wasn't able to to withhold from their requests because of their requests. But that's a different a, a different approach. I do want to point the following out. We do have a tradition, and it's interesting. Um, the uh, Rabbi Nobachai in last week's parsha notes that in the end, in the story, in the end of last week's parsha, when the brothers come back and they have this meal with him, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they're always referred to not as the brothers, but Ha'anashim, the men. And in fact, he says, if you count, you'll see that there are 10 times that that word is used. And he says, based, based on an idea in our tradition, that it's actually hinting to the Asara Haruge Malchus, the 10 people who were execute, executed much later in Jewish history during the Second Temple period by the Romans, and we have this idea in our Medrash that that was actually as a result of, or a punishment for, this the sale of Yosef, right? Um, which would mean that they didn't do Teshuva Gemura. They did not do complete Teshuva. Because we know that if a person does Teshuva Gemura, if a person does complete Teshuva, it's as if you never did it. It's as if you never did it. There's no punishment for the original act. So the fact that there was a punishment meted out later in Jewish history for this would imply that it wasn't Teshuvah Gemurah. And so it could be there was something that still needed to be pushed. And in and fact, had Yosef we, been able to hold himself back, then, then the Asara Haruge Malchus wouldn't have happened? If the brothers had been able to follow through. Yes. Um, and, and in fact, there, there are hints of this in next week's Parsha. Um, where the brothers, according to some of, of the opinions, lie to Yosef and tell him that their father said not to do anything to them, which their father, according to some of the Mepharshim, never said. They lie to Yosef because they suspect, they still suspect him of having some sort of agenda, which indicates that there was not a full resolution of the issue. Right. And of course, as we discussed when we first discussed the issue with the brothers and Yosef, and as we see in the Haftorah in this week's Parsha, this rift is is from Yechaskal, the Nevuah that Yechaskal has where there's two pieces of wood, one for Yehuda and one for Yosef, and they have to be put together. From this past week or this coming week? This coming, this week, Parsha's Vayigash. Um, when Parsha's Vayigash does not fall out on Shabbos Hanukkah, um, then uh, we have this Haftorah. Or if it's the second Shabbos Kanaka. Um, but so these two come together, right? The, in this Nevuah, the two pieces of wood come together as one. We see that this issue was not resolved. And it crops up again and again throughout Jewish history. Um, and I, I would like to suggest, and this is to a certain degree my own idea, but I, I would like to suggest the following. Um you know, there's, there, <laughs> um, 
I don't know if it was, if it was like this in 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 girls' schools, but in in yeshiva, this was a big thing on on erev Yom Kippur. People would go around asking other people to be mocha. Yeah, are you mocha? Are you mocha? Yes. Are you mocha? Are you mocha? Right. And in yeshiva, at least, people were very particular that you say, "I, I am mochel you." Yes, right? yes. Don't just say, "There's nothing to forgive you for." You have to say, "I am mochel you." Right? Yes, I forgive was you. Was that a thing? A thing. Okay. Where does that come also. from? It comes from an idea from Rav Moshe, Rav Moshe Feinstein. That Rav Moshe was bothered by the question. If Yosef, as we see, he does in this week's parsha, basically tells the brothers they have nothing you know, to apologize for, then why are the, uh, the Asara Heruge Malchus, these 10 martyrs, killed later on if Yosef forgave them? And so Rav Moshe actually says, he never said, I'm Mochel you. He never forgave them. He said, there's nothing to forgive. And therefore, we should be careful to say. Right. And that's where this idea comes from, that people go around and they say, oh, but but say, say you're Mochel me. Now, I want to talk about that for just a minute, because... I want to get gain a deeper understanding of that, and I think it has profound implications for our life. Okay. Right? Um, particularly for relationships, I think. Um, if someone says, you know, it's no big deal. There are two possible reasons why the person says it's no big deal. Right? One is, it's really no big deal. Two is they're being nice, right? Mm-hmm. Makes sense? Yeah. Now, if it's really no big deal, then it's no big deal. If they're just being nice, right, then if that continues to happen over and over and over again, you it end up... It becomes a very big deal. It becomes a very big deal. You end up building a resentment, right? So... This, I think, is what Rav Moshe is talking about. Of course, if there really is nothing to apologize for, then you don't have to say, I'm mochel you. But ignoring something is not the same as forgiving the person. And so if there really is something that needs to be forgiven, and there is no question that the brothers did something wrong, Right. No matter how much Yosef believed in Hashkacha Pratis, that everything that happened is as it was supposed to happen, right? But the brothers definitely did something wrong. There still was something to be mochal. There still is something that needs mechila. And let me explain that in the following way. Anytime we do something that hurts or against someone else, there's two components to it. There's the, what you might think of as the Bein Adam Lachavero, the interpersonal component, and the Bein Adam Lamakom, the between us and God. Because right. God also wants us to treat other people nicely. Right. Right? Now, if the person has complete emuna that what you did is exactly as it was supposed to be, that takes care of the Bein Adam Lamakom thing. Right? Because ultimately, it's in God's plan and so, therefore, you didn't do anything wrong from God's perspective, so to speak. Right? However, we as human beings act as our actions have consequences. 
Right. It doesn't matter that there's a hashgacha. We believe that there's a divine providence, right? If I do something bad to someone else, I can believe all I want that that is exactly what God had planned. That doesn't give me permission to do it. Right. right? And so, therefore, in terms of my action, my my behavior towards that other person, right, they can ignore it, Right. I feel like I, I, I wasn't clear. I do something to someone else. If they're upset, it has two components. Number one, I did something bad to somebody else. Number two, I... Um, you upset God. I ups- No, that's, that, that's number one. Number two, I hurt the person. Oh, right? Okay. I, I did an action that was bad and the consequence of that action on the other person. Right now, the other person decides to ignore the consequence of that action, or you might say if the other person believes that the consequence was supposed to happen, right? So then the consequence I don't have to take care of anymore, but I still did something bad, right? And I still have to address that part of the action, and that part of the action was never addressed. Yosef can say, you know what. Everything worked out exactly as it's supposed to be. So don't worry about the consequences of the action that you took. But the brothers still have to apologize for taking the action. And that they never did. Right? Right. Wow. And so the, the way this translates over into, you know, into practical real life, Right is whenever we have interactions with others, right? And maybe we do something that bothers someone else, right? When we apologize, right? So sometimes people will say, I'm sorry that this bothers you, okay. right? That's only taking responsibility for the consequence. That's not taking responsibility well, for the action. It's barely even taking responsibility for the consequence. Yes. Because usually it's shifting responsibility for the consequence onto the other person. Like, right? I'm sorry that you're an idiot, so you think this is a problem. Right. Right. But even if you're genuine about that, right? I'm sorry that that, you know, that I bothered you. Right? But there's two components to that. I'm sorry for the discomfort or pain that I caused you. And I'm sorry that I did something that caused that discomfort or pain, that I didn't have the empathy or the foresight to think about you in that situation, right? Wow. And that's something that we need to carry with us, right? And so, therefore, even if the person says, oh, you know what, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. It's all good, man. Right? It's all good, right? We still have to think about, yeah, but am I acting towards this person in a way that I shouldn't be? Fine. They're willing to, you know, overlook it, right? But is this the way that I should treat another human being? That question we also have to ask. And I think that's very much a message that we can take from this story. Yes, the brothers might have resolved the consequences of the action, right? Yosef might have been okay with that, but underlying it all, there was still, they didn't have a proper appreciation for their brother. Right? And that echoes 
throughout the generations. Mm -hmm. That continues. And that continues to echo. So let's take a look at what we've seen. Right? We've seen the concept of how to rectify our mistakes. If we're put into a similar situation and we would make a different choice, that shows that we have changed. But we also have to consider the actions that we took the first time. Right? And we can think about it like this. Right? Rabbeinu Yonah in Shari Tshuva, his great work on the concept of Tshuva, says, simply not doing something anymore is not Tshuva. If I stop doing something, but I never say I'm sorry for what I did, that's not tshuva either. Right. Well. Right. And so not only do we need to change our behavior moving forward, but we need to apologize for our behavior previously and consider our behavior. Did we do something in such a way? Did we treat somebody in such a way that they didn't deserve to be treated? 